Hello and welcome to the first official episode of Hit or Miss, a baseball podcast with me, Alexandra Aguila. If you don't already know who I am, my name is Alexandra and I am 16 years old and a junior in high school. Um, This is going to be a baseball podcast. We're going to talk all things baseball, um, share some highlights, breaking news, what's going on in the baseball world right now. You will find that here. Um, and we're going to make it fun, we're going to make it enjoyable, funny, and just try to make baseball fun again. So yeah, so that's really what this podcast is going to be about. I don't want to spend too much talking about that because this episode has a lot to unravel. Um, as we know, the trade deadline took place on August 2nd at 6pm Eastern Time. And let's just say a lot went down. If you weren't following on social media, on MLB Network, wherever you could find information about that, we're going to talk about that all here um, and kind of break it down and see what happened, see which teams really struck and which teams really didn't do so much. So without further ado, let's get started. A lot of trades went down. A lot. And I don't think, I feel like they went down at the last second. At the last day, the last 20 minutes of the trade deadline, everything went down. It was basically pandemonium on Twitter. You had Jeff Passan, Ken Rosenthal, John Heyman, Bob Nightingale literally tweeting minute after minute. It was crazy. Um... I feel like that was the most exciting part. Um, So yeah, so the trade deadline, it was fun. I always enjoy the trade deadline. I feel like it's one of the most exciting times in baseball. Um, When you look at it in a positive way, when you kind of step away from your favorite team and you look at it, I think it's super fun. Um, But yeah, but depending on who you're rooting for, I feel like on the emotional fan base side it could be a little bit like oh I hate the trade deadline we're selling all of our players or hey I love the trade deadline because we're buyers at the deadline we're getting new guys we're getting some high performing guys but when you look at it in whole I really think it's a really good time for baseball and a really exciting time so this year's trade deadline I feel like was a little different I feel like it was off to a slow start I feel like there really weren't any trades until August 1st. I feel like a lot of those, that was the time where a lot of the big names were traded um, in comparison to last year. I feel like last year, a lot more guys were traded earlier on and then a few trickled in last second. We had like Chris Bryant traded at the last minute. Um, Javier Baez was also traded like the last day too. So I don't know. I just felt like it was just kind of slow paced but there were a lot of teams that were kind of like in the middle or a lot of teams that were like questionable of what are they going to do where do they stand um so I feel like that had to play a part of it and then at the same time we also had Juan Soto probably the biggest name on the market this year and I feel like maybe everybody was waiting to hear what the news was going to be from him or where is he going, like, what's going on with that, and then everybody else was going to, like, finally make their trades after that was done. I felt like it was almost like a waiting game at that point, um, but yeah, we're gonna get into the Juan Soto trade later, but yeah, I mean, all in all, it was a really good trade deadline, um, like I said, you did have a lot of those teams where they weren't sure if they were going to be buyers or they were gonna be sellers, teams like the Giants, Um, the Red Sox, who recently had a bad stretch, and then as well as the Marlins. Um, The Marlins weren't really like a team that was out there or you didn't really see a lot in the media, but I just recently watched um, a press conference with Kim Ng, the general manager of the Marlins, and she said that, you know, they weren't even sure, you know, where they stood. Yes, they were probably not super out there right now in like the wild card but that like they could be aggressive they really had a chance to go out there probably get some guys if they wanted to they're only nine games 
out of the wild card. So it was possible, I think. So they were really a team that I guess was in the middle as well. Um, but yeah, so let's talk about the Yankees. Um, the Yankees went out there and made some big moves. Uh, I don't think it was unexpected. I think knowing the Yankees market and knowing um, the current standing situation of the Yankees, it was not surprising for them to go out and get uh, some of these guys, especially the outfielders and the pitchers who I think they really focused on. So the Yankees acquired Andrew Benintendi. That was their first move that they made on July 27th from the Royals for three prospects. Uh, We knew that the Yankees were going to go out and get an outfielder. They needed more depth in that department. But I don't think a lot of people thought that they were going to get Andrew Benintendi. I don't think his name was circulated around the Yankees. Um, It was more like Ian Happ. They were in on Juan Soto. So to see them get Benintendi, I think, was kind of shocking. But I don't think anybody was disappointed by it. Um, Benintendi has been good in his past seasons, has been doing good this season as well. So to see him in pinstripes was shocking, but not mad. I really think that that was a great move by the Yankees. And then as well... A good return from the Royals to getting those three prospects, trying to improve their farm system. And then on August 1st, the Yankees acquired right-handed pitcher Scott Efros. He's a reliever from the Cubs for Hayden Wesneski, who is in their um, farm system. Really good pickup by the Yankees. Really, really good. Scott Efros has been incredible this year, has been putting up great numbers, sidearm thrower, really nice stuff from him, and uh, really excited to see him and see what he can do in a playoff contending team. Um, obviously, the Cubs aren't going to go into the postseason this season, so I think this is a great opportunity for him. So really good pickup by the Yankees, extending that depth in the bullpen department, which I feel like they needed both on the starting rotation as well as in the bullpen. So that was a nice pickup for them. Um, and then they also acquired right-handed pitcher Frankie Montas and right-handed pitcher Lou Trevino from the A's for four prospects. Really, really nice. Um, we obviously knew Frankie Montas was one of those names that was up there. It was a matter of who was going to get him. And at the end of the day, the Yankees really made an effort to go for him. And I think that that was a really good idea. Uh, their starting rotation has been struggling. So to get him, I think really is going to help their starting rotation and things like that. We know that Frankie Montas hasn't been performing as well this season and has some ups and downs. But <clears throat> at the end of the day, I really think that he could really be good in their starting rotation. So really looking forward to see him. So those were the guys that the Yankees acquired at the deadline. Um, They addressed their needs, I feel like, and I think that they did a great job. We know that this Yankees team before the deadline was already incredible. So I don't really think that there was much to do during the deadline. I don't think there was a enforcement that they had, but you could always improve. You can always get better, and I think that's what they did. We know this team is going to go far into the postseason, um, but we also know that this team sometimes struggles. So I really think that this Yankees team looks different this year, and I could see them going farther than they ever have before, potentially getting that ring. I really think that right now they're favored, so I really think they did good at the deadline. And then they also went and traded some guys. They traded Jordan Montgomery to the Cardinals for outfielder Harrison Bader. Jordan Montgomery hasn't really been good recently in his recent stretches with the Yankees, so it wasn't a surprise that they were going to trade him knowing that they got Frankie Montas, but Harrison Bader is on the IL currently with plantis, I'm going to butcher this word, but I think it's pronounced plantar felicitas, let me try this again, plantar plantar felicitas, plantar felicitas, Okay, I think it's pronounced plantar fasciitis. 
I could be completely wrong, but I don't know. That's a tongue twister. Harrison Bader went on the IL with that. (laughs) So that is a bit, not of an issue, but of a concern. But say Harrison Bader is going to take longer if he's not going to get better. He's not going to come off the IL. In a while, the Yankees can acquire somebody else from the Cardinals instead of him. So I guess it's a waiting game to, for that to see how Harrison Bader feels. But I either way, if they get Harrison Bader and all is well with health, great pickup. Again, continuing with that depth in the outfield. We know that Aaron Hicks is out there, but at the same time, how much can Aaron Hicks be out there is a question. So continuing with that depth, great. Um, another trade they made, outfielder Joey Gallo to the Dodgers for right-handed pitcher Clayton Beater. This is a hot topic. Kind of an upsetting one and a sad one for Joey Gallo. We know Joey Gallo has struggled ever since he came in pinstripes. Great, great player with the Rangers. I got to see him in person. He was a Joey Gallo that was talked about in the media. When he was traded last year, it kind of went downhill from him. He wasn't performing as well as we knew he could uh, offensively and defensively. So obviously Yankees fans didn't like that. They didn't like seeing one of the players that they got struggle, right? And we know how the Yankees fan base could be. They boo a lot. You know, it doesn't matter if you're on their team or if you're not, they'll boo you. And I think Joey Gallo got a lot of that. And I feel like once you get a lot of that, it kind of takes a toll on the way that you perform. Not to say that Joey Gallo has been struggling because of the outside noise. I don't think that's the truth, but I think that that has to play a part of it. New York is New York. New York is a big city. We know that New York is one of the hardest cities to play in just because of the atmosphere. So, he knew it was going to be a struggle. Unfortunately, didn't rub off on him the right way. He was interviewed and he said that he couldn't even step out of his apartment because he was scared. You know, Yankees fans were going to attack him, things like that. Like, not like physically attack, but, you know, like talk to him and things like that. And that's sad. As a human, that's sad. You never want somebody to go and not even feel comfortable in the own city they live in, the own apartment they live in. So, unfortunately, Joey Gallo didn't find quite the success he wanted to in New York, therefore traded to the Dodgers. Um, I think we kind of knew that once the Yankees acquired Benintendi, it was a question of who was going to get DFA'd or who's going to leave because there was too many guys on the 40-man. So, in all respect, I am super happy for Joey Gallo. I think that this is a fresh start he needed. This is going to be good for him health-wise, like emotionally, mentally. I think he needed a change. And not that New York is bad. I don't believe so. But New York is hard. That's what it is. So I think that Joey Gallo moving on and getting into a new stadium, a new fan base is going to see him. I think it's something that he needs. And I am very excited to see what he can do in LA and see if he could go back to the old Joey Gallo that we know and love and that hits bombs. So really excited for him and really excited to see where he goes with the Dodgers. So those are the two guys that they ended up trading at the deadline. And besides that, I mean, that's really what the Yankees did. Although they traded a lot of prospect death, um, a lot of their farm system, and mostly like on the pitching side, I don't think it hurt them in any way because there's one thing that the Yankees can do out of all of the other great things. It's turn these minor league pitchers into superstars, into great pitchers, into pitchers who throw the ball, command the ball well. Um, That's something that they can do very well. Probably the best in major league baseball the coaching staff, the pitching staff is great there. So I really don't think it hurts them in any way because I know that the pitching staff and the coaches can convert their minor league players, their prospects into great pitchers. So 
really doesn't hurt them there. Um, but yeah, that's the, that's what the Yankees did. Like I said, they didn't really need to do a lot. They addressed their needs. They got who they thought was going to be reasonable. They didn't go out there and get a guy just to get a guy, I don't think. So really good deadline, I believe, for the New York Yankees. Um, moving on to another big team in the other division, the Los Angeles Dodgers. They were quiet this deadline. And I think that that's kind of, I'm not mad about that. Like, we know that they have a pretty good lead right now in the National League West. So I don't really think that they needed to go out there and make a big splash uh, just because they're the Dodgers. But they have an 11 and a half game lead right now above the San Diego Padres. So there was no need to go in really really pursue Juan Soto obviously they wanted him like who doesn't want him but at the same time they also know they have a comfortable lead um if the playoffs started tomorrow they would have a bye they currently have a bye so I don't really think they needed to go out there and there was an urgency to get anyone other than previous years I feel like but yeah so the Dodgers stayed quiet I kind of wanted just to touch on that because I know there was like a lot of people saying well the Dodgers need to counteract after the Padres acquired Soto. Yeah, Soto, great player, amazing player. Um, probably going to be one of the best players of our generation. But the Dodgers are also the Dodgers. Uh, I, they don't, they're not known for their major fails. They're not known for losing consecutive games in a row. Uh, so I really think that there will be no fallout for the Dodgers. And I think they know that too. So there wasn't an urge to go get anybody just because the Padres acquired one of the best players in baseball. That's really what went on over there in the NL West for the Dodgers. I'll touch on the rest of the NL coming up shortly. But first, let's talk about some teams that were kind of confusing, that were a bit questionable. We didn't know what was going on, and those two teams would probably be the Giants and the Red Sox. The Giants are currently in third place in the NL West, 19 and a half games after the Dodgers and two games below 500 currently. There really wasn't a clear, we're going to be buyers, we're going to be sellers. They were kind of one of those teams that were in the middle. Uh, they were in the talks about Juan Soto, but realistically, I feel like they really weren't in it. Um, they didn't have the minor league players to really compete with any of the other teams that were in on him. So I, I really feel like because they have no top minor league players who are currently in their farm system, they didn't really put together a package to acquire players, if that makes sense. The Giants are known for having the older crowd, you know. So the goal really for the Giants here was to basically improve their defense. We know that their defense hasn't been great this season, so that was really something that they had to go, if they were going to acquire anybody and if they were going to decide to be buyers at the deadline, they had to go and get better defense. But they didn't really do that besides acquiring an infielder, Dixon Machado, from the Cubs for right-handed pitcher Reynold Espinal. Um, that was the only move that they really made. So I don't know where that puts them because they did go out and trade some guys. So if you're going to put them on the buyer or seller radar, I really would put them closer to the sellers. There was talks of them trading Carlos Rodon um, to really improve their farm system like the Reds did with Luis Castillo or like the A's. So I would kind of see them along that side, but at the end of the day, it didn't happen. Carlos Rodon is still in the Giants. So... I really feel like they didn't do anything. They didn't improve their farm system and they didn't improve their defense. So are they going to compete is still a question. They're basically going into the second half with the same people they had in the first half. I don't know. Uh, that's just how it is for the Giants. Not really any major moves, but they were one of those teams who were kind of confusing and how we didn't know that they were going to go into the trade deadline and what moves that they were going to make and they ended up not really making any so that's I guess where the Giants stand another team that was kind of confusing was the Red Sox the Red Sox went through a bad stretch they flipped the page moving closer to the deadline and they started to win some games 
They did add some unexpected players that I really didn't think that they were going to go for. They ended up acquiring Abraham Almonte for cash. They also got Tommy Pham from the Reds and catcher Reese McGuire and one other player from the White Sox for Jake Diekman and then as well as Eric Hosmer. The Eric Hosmer conversation will be later on in the episode. We all know who that went down. That's a whole separate thing. But the Red Sox, I feel like they didn't want to give up. They knew that they had J.D. Martinez who could have been moved. They knew they also had Xander Bogarts who was kind of questionable as well. So I feel like they were in a position where they could have gone both ways. Reading what I read, J.D. Martinez was an option to be traded. The Red Sox just didn't find anybody that was really willing to give them what they wanted for him. So at the end of the day, I think it was a smart move. J.D. Martinez has been on the team for a while. So kind of similar to what the Cubs did, if the Red Sox general manager wasn't going to get an offer that he wanted for J.D. Martinez, he wasn't going to sell him. And that's what happened. Um, at the end of the year, he will probably offer him the qualifying offer. Uh, whatever J.D. Martinez decides to do with that benefits the Red Sox in one way. If J.D. Martinez declines a qualifying offer, the Red Sox do end up with a draft compensation pick. Or, best case scenario, they sign him again. So, it could really go either way for them. Um, they decided to keep him. They also acquired some guys, some outfielders a catcher because Christian Vasquez was traded to the Astros. So they made some moves that were confusing. I really don't know if this is really going to push their team towards the playoffs. They still sit in last place. Uh, I don't know. They do have injured players returning soon, such as Kike Hernandez. So if they could flip the page, great. If not, I feel like this is going to come back and not do any good for them. And at the deadline, I feel like they were kind of both. I And sometimes being both doesn't really work out for you however hard you try. I feel like you can't be both buyers and sellers or not. It kind of puts you in the position, well, like we have to get our money's worth. But that's kind of hard, being in a division with the Yankees and the Blue Jays. It does kind of put them in a weird position, and it was a weird deadline for them because they are three games out of the wild card, so it's still fair game for them. And then the Guardians, the Orioles, and the White Sox are ahead of them currently. But those are also three teams. We know the Orioles traded Trey Mancini, so they didn't acquire anybody. But the White Sox and the Guardians are also two teams that didn't make any moves, that didn't make any major moves. The Guardians basically didn't do anything, I don't think. Um, except for trade guys, I don't think they got anybody. The White Sox stayed silent. So that whole situation there for the American League wildcard is going to be fun to watch because I feel like all of those teams who are at least three games um, out of the wild card, didn't do anything. So that's going to be exciting in a way to see. It does kind of confuse a little thing, like little things like that, but I don't know. It is what it is with Boston. Uh, but yes, moving on, there was a three-team trade and I find three-team trades interesting, confusing, and all of the above. The three-team trade included the Astros, the Orioles, <laughs> I was about to say Oreo, the Orioles, and the Rays. That's kind of a weird mix, if you ask me, but they got it done, and I really think that it benefited everybody. The Astros got Trey Mancini from the Orioles and a pitching prospect from the Rays. The Orioles got minor league pitchers from the Rays and the Astros, and then the Rays got Jose Siri. So I think it really works out. The Rays got an outfielder, which they were looking for after they lost Kevin Kiermeyer. The Astros got Mancini, obviously good pickup, and the O's got minor league depth, which is really all you can hope for now that it's clear that they're not going to be um, contending in the postseason. So I really think it was a win-win for, uh, you could say win-win-win for all three teams. Uh, Mancini to the Astros was 
kind of surprising and kind of not surprising. We know that Mantini has really done a lot for the city of Baltimore. We know all that he has been through. Um, You could argue that he was the face of the team. He was Mr. Oriole. Obviously, Orioles fans upset about that. I would too. You know, this guy's been on your team for his whole career. Seeing him go, it has to be hard. But I think that move really declared that Baltimore isn't going to pursue the postseason, even though they were on a good stretch, even though they are only one game out of the wild card. So unfortunately, there were no pickups by the Orioles, but it is what it is at the end of the day. Um, And then the O's get more depth. We established that. And the Rays get Jose Siri. Again, they needed another outfielder after they lost Kevin Kiermaier. So yeah, really good three-team trade there. Moving on, we're going to talk about the Mets a little bit. The big question here is, did the Mets do enough or should have they done more? So this is who the Mets got at the deadline. They got first baseman slash DH Daniel Vogelback from the Pirates, catcher Michael Perez from the Pirates, outfielder Taylor Naquin, outfielder Tyler Naquin, and left-handed pitcher Philip Deal from the Reds, right-handed pitcher Michael Givens, and first baseman slash outfielder Darren Ruff from the Giants. So they did go out there and made some make some moves. They were also in the talks for Juan Soto. Unfortunately, didn't get him. But they got some platoon guys. They got Darren Ruff. They got Chaniel Vogelback. They got Tyler Naquin. Could be really good off the bench. Address the pitching with Michael Givens, who has been phenomenal this season for the Cubs. So I think they made the right moves. I think the biggest thing that Mets fans were looking forward to was the return of Jacob deGrom off of the injured list. Uh, That really helps them a lot. But speaking deadline moves, they did what they had to do. They addressed the bullpen issues. They were in talks with Contreras, unfortunately didn't pursue him. Um... Again, the asking price was just too high from Contreras, and I think the Mets general manager didn't want to go all in for him, and a bunch of other teams didn't as well. So there really just wasn't that big headline move that Mets fans wanted. And I think that's okay. I don't think that there's a, I don't think that's a problem. I think that the Mets are still going to go in the postseason. They're still in the first place. I know that they have to worry about the Atlanta Braves, but they're three games ahead of them. And right now, secure a bye. So really, I think that they're great with guys they have right now. And Mets fans shouldn't worry. Speaking about the Braves, could the Braves go back to back is the question that most people are having right now. If you're a Braves fan, you're obviously rooting for them to go back to back, but I think that they have a realistic chance. Of course, after a team wins the World Series, you celebrate, but the next question is, could you do it again? For a lot of teams, it's no, but this season, I think that's pretty realistic for the Braves to go back-to-back. They didn't go out and get a ton of guys, but they've still got guys that could be beneficial off the bench, and on paper, I believe they have the best roster right now. They added the bullpen death to make their bullpen even better than what it is now. They got infielder A. Ray Adrianza from the Nationals. They got outfielder Robbie Grossman from the Tigers. Right-handed pitcher Jake Odorizzi from the Astros. And Rysel Iglesias from the Angels. I think that they made some great moves. Got another guy in the bullpen who has been putting up monster numbers. So, Really, really good deadline for the Braves, but aside from all of that, they extended Austin Riley for 10 years for $212 million, so Braves fans should be pretty excited, and I think they are um, really securing their third baseman, top third baseman in the National League, in the major leagues even, so I think that was a big news for them at the deadline. Besides that, they made some good moves, stayed quiet got the guys that they wanted to, and at the end of the day, I think it really benefited them, and already their team was good. Yes, they lost Albies, but they also got back Acuna, so I think it's looking good for the Braves. Uh, They do have to battle with the Mets 
for the top spot in the division, but as of now, they're going to the wild card. They have a wild card spot, so I don't think it's impossible for them to be in first place come the end of the season, so really looking forward to see what they can do later on in the season. And let's kind of switch our gears towards the American League, the American League Central to be specific. Nothing really happened there. I think that was the quietest division out of everybody at the deadline. The Twins are leading, the Guardians are behind them, then the White Sox and the Tigers and the Royals. And you really didn't hear much about the AL Central aside from the Twins, except for the Royals trading Benintendi, trading Whit Merrifield. Um, the White Sox, Tony La Russa and company stayed quiet, except for the Guardians acquiring Ian Hamilton from the Twins, and then the White Sox acquired Jake Diekman from the Red Sox for catcher Reese McGuire um, and cash current considerations. I am surprised. Not that I thought the White Sox were going to make a big splash or the Guardians, same thing, but they're still in really good postseason contention. The Guardians are one game behind the Twins. The White Sox, two games. So a little bit surprising they didn't really go out and pursue anyone. I think it was kind of a disappointment there in the AL Central. Like I said, the White Sox didn't prove they needed offense, didn't get it, except for a pitcher. On the other hand, the Twins did acquire some guys. They got catcher Sandy Leone from the Guardians, right-handed pitcher Jorge Lopez from the Orioles, right-handed pitcher Michael Fulmer from the Tigers, and Tyler Mayle. They got some guys, but at the same time, didn't really get any notable guys. But they got a closer, and that's what they needed. So at the end of the day, the AL Central is what it is. But it was quiet, this trade deadline. Going back to the National League, the Phillies. The Phillies went and got some guys. They were another team that was struggling. We know the Phillies struggle on defense. But they addressed their needs. They got stronger, they made some great moves, and I think that with the guys that they got, puts them in better chances of going into the wild card. Uh, The Phillies acquired shortstop Edmundo Sosa from the Cardinals, outfielder Brandon Marsh from the Angels, right-handed pitcher David Robertson from the Cubs, and then Noah Syndergaard from the Angels, aka Thor, Um, yeah, just four guys, but you know, it did what it was supposed to do, and I think that it really benefits them in a good way, uh, puts them in better chances of the postseason, and then really, I think it'll improve their ranking in the standings a lot. Um, although they're third place, nine and a half games behind, eight games below 500, they are in a division with the Mets and the Braves, but I do think that their season will get better and will improve with the guys that they acquired this deadline. I don't think that they're going to catch up to the Mets or the Braves. So let's move from the National League East to the National League Central, where the Brewers are leading the division and the Cardinals two games behind them. And let's say that the Cardinals definitely made moves to catch up to the Brewers. So let's break down what the Brewers did. First of all, the Brewers traded away their top closer, top closer in the league even, Josh Hader to the Padres for left-handed pitcher Taylor Rogers, right-handed pitcher Denilson Lamette, left-handed pitcher Robert Gasser, and second baseman outfielder Esturi Ruiz. They got a haul. They got a haul in return. But That was probably one of the most unexpected trades that happened. I don't think anybody was expecting for the Brewers to trade their top closer. I really think that took the baseball world in a toll. Um, And it kind of questioned everybody, like, what are the Brewers doing? They're in first place. Why are they trading away him? And the Brewers said it's because they believe that they could win without him, that they could win games without him. I don't know if I agree with them, and I don't know if I disagree with them. Yeah, they do have a good bullpen, but Josh Hader is one of the best closers in the league. That's the guy that you don't trade. That's a guy that you keep forever. So I do think 
that it did decrease their chances of potentially winning the World Series. I know that's a big observation and I I know that a lot of people aren't on that train for the Brewers to win the World Series, but yeah, you could win games without Josh Hader, but I don't think you can win World Series postseason games without him. So the Brewers definitely have a lot of faith in the rest of their bullpen. They did acquire a few guys as well. Uh, They acquired right-handed pitcher Matt Bush from the Rangers, as well as right-handed pitcher Trevor Rosenthal from the Giants. The Brewers made it clear, and they said that this deadline, we're not looking to make a push to get someone to go win the World Series. They basically said that isn't their goal. Um, They came out with a statement after trading Josh Hader and said, we are looking to get guys who can help us contend for years coming. So basically what that means is that they don't want to win a World Series this year. Not to say that they don't want to compete because I still think that they are going to compete with the players they have, but that wasn't the goal and that isn't the goal for this year. The goal is to compete consistently moving on, which everybody wants to do that, right? Every team wants to do that. That's really the main goal is to not win a World Series next season, be one of the worst teams in baseball. That's not really what they what each team wants to do. But I think the Brewers are more focused on the future than in the present. I can see why I really can, but right now you're leading your division. Yes, the Cardinals are creeping up right behind you and with not acquiring anyone and trading your best closer, it really puts you in a position where The Cardinals can swoop the title, can come on in, and I think the Cardinals are now going to end up on top of the National League Central. That's how I see it, unfortunately, for the Brewers. But really, I don't, not that they don't care, but I don't really think it affects them. Like they said, they're looking to win from here on out, not from here and then stop. So that was surprising to see. Speaking of the Cardinals, they did get left-handed pitcher Jose Quintana and right-handed pitcher Chris Stratton from the Pirates, and then catcher Austin Allen from the A's, and left-handed pitcher Jordan Montgomery from the Yankees. So I really think that this NL Central is in the hands of the Cardinals now, considering the moves that they made at the deadline, and then the moves that the Brewers did not make at the deadline. So that was really surprising to see in the Central. And then a team that has shocked the baseball world this year, the Seattle Mariners. It's a lot of confusing trades, a lot of trades that maybe really didn't work out or we don't think is going to work out. But uh, yeah, so that was really what went down. The gist of the trade deadline, I guess you could say. Other notable things to know is that the Orioles picked up Brett Phillips from the Rays. Uh, The Rays acquired Jose Siri, meaning that they had a DFA guy, and that guy, sadly, was Brett Phillips, which was sad. Brett Phillips has an enormous personality, has a great personality, great human, great player, um, and to see him go was really heartbreaking to many Rays fans. Um, He is now acquired by the Orioles. Um, Another guy who was traded, who was unexpected a little, was, as we said, Christian Vasquez from the Astros. The story with him is kind of weird. The Astros were playing the Red Sox when this happened. Christian Vasquez was traded during um, batting practice. He was, like, bombarded by the media, obviously, like, they were all asking him questions, so then one of the Red Sox guys came and took Vasquez away, and the guy who took him away was his translator. You would think, like, a front office member would be there, like, because usually they have front office people with players just to make sure the questions are appropriate and things like that, and there was no one there, so that was shocking to see because usually you would have someone there, especially when a guy just got traded, and then a team that has shocked the baseball world this year the Seattle Mariners Uh, wow have they been fun to watch 
they are 11 games behind the Astros, but they also have a wild card spot right now. So they took the deadline. I really think that they went like all or nothing here. They acquired Luis Castillo from the Reds for three of their top prospects. The Reds, great for them. Mariners, great for them as well. They have names on that team. They have Jesse Winker. They have Eugenio Suarez. They have J-Rod. They have Adam Frazier um, acquired, Carlos Santana, Ty France, many more. The Mariners have the team, and are they an underrated team of baseball? I think out of all of the postseason contenders as of now, they probably are one of the underrated, but they really came into the deadline knowing and showing that they are done with this postseason drought. They want to stop. They want to compete this year, and it shows, and I think that they did a great job at the deadline by acquiring Luis Castillo. Um, They have been eyeing him. They knew it was either him or Montas, so definitely a great pickup for them. Um, And then they also acquired third baseman slash outfielder Jake Lamb, from the Dodgers, and then catcher Kurt Casale and left-handed pitcher Matthew Boyd from the Giants. So they did go out there and get some other guys as well, but I think the big name right there is Luis Castillo, uh, and he actually started today for the Mariners. They ended up winning the game. He did amazing. He did what he does. So all in all, really good deadline for the Mariners. I am really excited to see what they can do this second half hopefully, hopefully they continue to go on that stride and uh, really end the drought for them this season. So really, really fun baseball team to watch. But besides that, I think we went through all the trades that really were notable. So as we reach the end, we can't really finish off this trade deadline podcast without addressing the hottest team at the deadline, the San Diego Padres. And boy, oh boy, did they go out. They said, we want to go out and scare all the teams that are currently going to go to the postseason. And they did just that. I was absolutely mind boggled every time there was a tweet that mentioned the Padres. I was like, oh my God, they just did this. Or, oh my God, no way. Like, this was the Padres tried deadline. They took full control of it. They got who they wanted and they pulled it off greatly. Let's start from the beginning. First, they got left-hand pitcher Josh Hader. We talked about him. We know he's great. Great pickup. All right. Next, they got second baseman slash third baseman Brandon Drury from the Reds. Again, great pickup. Next, Josh Bell from the Nationals, first baseman. Not all. They also got star outfielder Juan Soto, officially a San Diego Padre. Unbelievable. We knew the Padres were one of those top teams that were going to go out and get him. Um, I'll touch on Soto later. That's its own separate segment. It needs its own separate part of the podcast, but great job by the Padres front office to go and get Juan Soto, to go and get Josh Bell. They really carried out with that deal. There was always a possibility that Juan Soto could have stayed on the Nationals and go into free agency. Um, but by the Padres acquiring him, they have him under control for two more seasons. Really great job. Now, the only thing is that they did give up a lot of their farm system. The Nationals did get a haul from the Padres for Juan Soto and Josh Bell. The Nationals acquired left-handed pitcher Mackenzie Gore, shortstop C.J. Abrams, outfielder Robert Hassel III, outfielder James Wood, right-handed pitcher Jarlin Susanna, and first baseman Luke Voigt. So Nationals did a great job for getting a lot of value out of those two guys. Um, Definitely increases their farm system. So the Padres gave up a lot for who they acquired, but they made it clear that this was going to be their time to shine, that they wanted these guys 
that they were going to go out there and make moves, do whatever it takes to get them, and that's what they did. I said it before, I don't think that they're going to catch up to the Dodgers just because we know what the Dodgers are capable of. Um, although the Dodgers, yes, they didn't go out and get a named guy, but they have a named team. They have the team. So I really don't think that they're going to run with the division, but I do think that this potentially can lock up a wild card for them. I'm really looking forward to see what they can do in October. This is a team that could shake up things, so it's going to be fun to see, especially with Tatis coming back. That's going to be a crazy team and a must-watch team. So let's talk about the one player on that team now, the man Juan Soto, and we're going to talk about all of the drama that went down. The Padres GM wasn't on the phone to say, hey, I want Juan Soto. I'll give you blah, blah, blah. It was a lot more confusing, a lot more difficult than that. And we're going to break it all down. So here it is from the beginning. Juan Soto was offered from the Nationals a $440 million contract for 15 years that he turned down. He decided he didn't want to follow through with that. He has his reasons, right? Then the home run derby took place. Usually, teams will charter their guys a plane for them to get flown to LA or wherever the All-Star game is at that time. But the communication wasn't really there at the time because Juan Soto declined the deal. The Nationals, they didn't really take it the right way and they decided not to charter him a plane. Therefore, Juan Soto flew commercial the morning of the home run derby that he was competing in. And he won the home run derby. Can we talk about that? that is the ultimate power move. That was crazy. So anyways, so yeah, he ended up winning the home run derby. Just adds a bunch of more value to him than he already has. He was the biggest name on the market. Um, a lot of teams were kind of, I feel like a lot of teams were waiting for him to be traded. And then they were going to go and make their moves. I touched on that earlier. And then there were a lot of teams on him. The Mets were on him. The Dodgers were on him. The Yankees and the Cardinals. The Cardinals did offer him a package, did offer him a few packages. So I think going up to the deadline, the Cardinals were favored. I believe so. And I really thought that he was going to go to the Cardinals and obviously other big market teams also favored. So ultimately the team that acquired Juan Soto was the Padres. It wasn't cheap to go and get Juan Soto. We know that. We knew that from the beginning. So the Padres ended up acquiring him for six players. Some of those being major leaguers, other prospects, minor leaguers. In all, they gave up a lot of their farm system. And maybe they did kind of risk their future, but the GM made it very clear that they're focused on the now. They're focused on what they can do now. And they did that. And they went and inquired the guys that they thought would help them with a championship this year as well as next year. And they do have Soto for another two seasons. So, um, that also plays a factor into that. But I think the main issue in this Soto trade was Eric Hosmer. So, Eric Hosmer was going to be in the deal for Juan Soto and he was going to go to the Nationals. But since he was a part of the no trade protection list, it made things more complicated than they could have been. Basically, Eric Hosmer had the option to say, no, I don't want to be traded to the Nationals. And he did that so. He said he didn't want to be traded to the Nationals. Therefore, the Padres couldn't trade him. So instead, they had to figure out another player to trade to the Nationals. And that player ended up being Luke Voigt. Now, Luke Voigt was on the Yankees, got traded to the Padres, and is now on the Nationals. I see Luke Voigt as a great player, and I honestly feel a little bad because he obviously wasn't going to be traded until Eric Hosmer said no, so I don't know. It was just a very confusing thing, and I do feel bad for him because I really think he liked it in San Diego. Um, yes, he was not really putting up monster numbers, but he was doing good. He was doing well, so a, a part of me really, ugh, like is upset, like feels bad, but at the same time, you know, he does have the chance now to be the star of the Nationals if he wanted to. He has a chance to improve himself and then end up going to a big market team. So unfortunately for Luke Voigt, it really didn't work out in his favor, but I guess that's what happens when you got a player on the no trade protection 
But yeah, another thing is, is that because Eric Hosmer decided not to go, the Red Sox end up picking him up. The Padres, unfortunately, eat his salary of $44 million. Not a win for the Padres on that aspect, but for Eric Hosmer, he does get to go to a team who who clearly is in hopes of going to the postseason, speaking of what moves the Red Sox made at the deadline. So kind of a win for Eric Hosmer, kind of a loss for Luke Voigt. The Padres win by getting Juan Soto and Josh Bell, but they also eat $44 million. So you win some, you lose some. At the end of the day, I think the Padres did what they wanted to do, which was get Juan Soto. So you could call that a win. I call that a win if you have Juan Soto on your team, one of the best players in baseball. But that kind of wraps it up. That's the big news. That was the big topic in the trade deadline. It's going to be so fun to see that Padres lineup, what they can do in October. And I think it really spices things up. So super excited to see what Juan Soto does. That wraps up our trade deadline podcast. What went on? I think it was a really good deadline. I think it was really fun. It was really exciting. It went down to the wire. And yeah, we're going to go in with our hit or miss. And this one is going to be a little bit different. Instead of doing a team, we're going to do trade. So we're going to do the hit trade and the miss trade. Hit meaning which trade was a win, miss which trade was not so much of a win, a loss basically. So I think the biggest win, the biggest trade that ultimately was good in all factors has to be the Juan Soto trade. It has to. I mean, the Padres got Juan Soto, which they wanted, as well as Josh Bell. And the Nationals got a lot of players in return, a lot of great players. They're strengthening their farm system. They're building a foundation for their team in upcoming years. I think it's a win-win trade, honestly. So that would be the hit trade for me. The missed trade would have to be the Brewers trading Josh Hader to the Padres in return for a couple of pitchers and other players. It really didn't add up. It didn't make sense. I know the Brewers put out a statement there and they said why they did it, but at the same time, they're in first place right now in the division. They're contending for the postseason, and right now I think they put themselves in a position where the Cardinals can easily come up and take that away from them, like I said earlier. So really, that has to be the mistrade for me, unfortunately. I think Brewers fans and players were both shocked by that move. So that would have to be the miss for this episode. Um, I hope all of you guys had a fun trade deadline, had fun refreshing your Twitter feed every 10 seconds, just like me. We were trying to see what was going on, what was happening, what was the next move, Uh, but great trade deadline and all. Again, thank you guys so much for listening. I will see you guys on Saturday for a mini Cubs episode and then again on Monday for a regular episode. I hope you guys all have a great day. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.